This episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets. Welcome to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week we're joined by ESPN college basketball analyst Jay Williams. Let's do it. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, JJ Reddick. Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast. I'm JJ Reddick. Haven't said this in a while. I just want to thank everyone for listening. If you do listen to the show and you like it and you have some feedback or you have some questions, please hit me up on Twitter at JJ Reddick. Write a review on iTunes. Tell some friends if you like it. If you don't like it, just continue to be silent because most of the feedback I've gotten has been pretty good and I appreciate that. Everyone always appreciates good feedback and positive feedback, I think. This week we're going to be talking about March Madness. Uh, We'll be joined a little bit later by Jay Williams current ESPN college basketball analyst, former Duke Blue Devil, and 2001 national champion. You know, watching March Madness and watching the first round, first couple rounds of the NCAA tournament over the last week has has brought up a lot of memories. I don't often think about my time at Duke. I don't often think about playing college basketball. I try to be as present as possible and, and live in the moment as much as I can especially given how busy the NBA season can be. But this time of year always kind of conjures up old memories of Duke. And as I was sitting around this week watching college basketball, I realized that all my memories of March Madness are very, very depressing. I mean, you know, I I lost in three Sweet Sixteens. My sophomore year, we lost against UConn in the Final Four by one point. During that game, I had a chance to take the lead with about 20 seconds to go and had the ball stripped. And then I had a chance a little bit later to tie the game with a three from the top of the key, and I missed that. My freshman year against Kansas, I was two for 16 in the Sweet 16. My senior year against LSU, I was three for 18. I do believe those are my two worst shooting performances of my entire career, and they came at the most inopportune time. Very depressing stuff. It's sad to say this, but my best memories of March are winning the ACC tournament three times. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of sad, right? When I first left Duke, I I was actually not that bothered that... I didn't win it a championship. I was proud of my career. I'm certainly proud to, to break some records and win some awards. I mean, that, that was cool. I had a, a great time at Duke, developed some great relationships. I was very happy with my career at Duke. It didn't bother me as much as it does now. It seems like each year that goes by, I'm more and more pissed off that I didn't win a national championship at Duke. You know, I think about it all the time. I really do. This week's guests had much better March Madness memories than I did. We're now joined by ESPN college basketball analyst and 2001 national champion, Jay Williams. Jay, thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure. I'm really happy for you. You know, I feel like you've carved out a nice little niche. Every time I turn on ESPN, I see your face. I hear your voice. It's really nice. It's comforting. Hey, can I tell you something? Every time I turn on the TV and I see you setting all these records, shooting like 50% from the three-point line, it always goes back to that one conversation that we had, Jay, 
where you looked me dead in the eyes and said, Jay, do you think if you stayed one last year in school, you would have beat my scoring record? And you say, nah, that would have never happened. I can never forget that moment, ever. Just because I, I, that's who you are, and I love that about you. You're more competitive than anybody else I've ever met. It's beautiful. Jay, Jay, that's actually my first question. And it's a, it's a serious question. So, <laughs> Of course that would no, be your so, first question. Just for clarity's sake, my senior year of high school was your junior year at Duke. So our mm-hmm. careers at Duke nearly intersected. You, Carlos, Mike, you guys all decided to leave after your junior year. If you guys had been seniors and I had been a freshman and we'd played together, who would be the leading scorer in Duke history right now? JJ, do you really need me to answer this question? I'm asking you. I'm just, I'm just saying, you, you wouldn't – okay. <laughs> There's so only one ball, this. Jay. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. 15 years later. There's, I don't know that – I don't know, Jay. I don't know that you necessarily would have just, like, averaged 25 your senior year. I don't know. I feel like – I'm not saying I would average 25, but I would have been two-time National Player of the Year looking for my third National Player of the Year if I did stay. And I don't – how many points did you average your freshman year? 15. Okay. I don't know. Actually, you may have averaged 15 with us because you I – th- I feel like I would have got go. wide open shots. You, like between you, Mike's passing ability, your passing ability, Chris Duhon, Boozer in the post. Like I don't know. I don't know that my scoring would have been That's like that true. much less. I feel like it would have been easier 15 my freshman year. All right. So you set the record at how many points did you have overall? Uh, like 2,800-something? 2,769. No one's counting, but I am. Okay. I, I mean, all right, so I'm not counting either. I mean, I did have 2,192. So you would so have had I, to I, average, let's say we played 40 games, we probably would have. Yeah, we would have played 40 games for sure. Yeah. We would have, yeah. So you would have, let's say you averaged 20, you would have had 800. Yeah, I guess just simple yeah. math, you probably would have. It would have been a toss-up. <laughs> hey, but you know what, though? I don't have the record. You do. Props to you, man. You were a beast, right, so we'll leave you, it buddy. at that. All right. Hey, so going back to, real quick, going back to 2001, I was talking earlier about my March Madness memories. Unfortunately, all my NCAA tournaments ended in bitter sadness. But um, what stands out about that 2001 run to you? Was there a moment or any moments, whether it was the championship game or maybe an earlier game? Uh, I know for me, one of my favorite kind of stretches in that run for you guys was uh, the UCLA game. Yeah, man. You know what? The the moment that kicked the whole thing off, JJ, was we had played Maryland, and it was Shane senior night. I'll never forget this. And, um, you know, obviously, look, our, our team was pretty stacked. You know, we had Boozer and, and Dunleavy and Duhon and Battier and Nate James that decided to come off the bench after that game. And we were playing against Maryland, and Boozer went up, and he came down, and I've never heard a grown man scream like this before. He He broke his third metatarsal in his left foot. And we lost that game. It was one of those games where, you know, you know how it is when you lose a game at Duke. It's like somebody's died, you know. Um, yeah. Nobody yeah. says a word. Phones are off, and we're in the locker room. Everybody's head is down. And we're sitting there like, you know, there goes our whole damn season, right? Like, Boozer was our only big that we had at that moment. We had Casey Sanders in the quarterback, but they barely played. Coach loves his seven-man rotation. And um, I don't know. It was just one of those moments that just kind of – it stuck with me for the rest of my life because it was the moment that changed the outlook on our season. We were all in the locker room, and I was sitting next to Battier, and Duhon was on my right, and Dunley was next to him, and everybody had their heads down, right? And Shane was emotional. He loses senior night at home and all that kind of shit. And next thing you know, man, like Coach K comes in the door. And you know how he is, Jay. When, when he starts you know, with that pace and his, his hands are clenched, right, he's making a fist. 
and he just has this zest that he's walking with. And, you know, without talking about the game that we just lost, without basking in that moment of frustration, he just kind of looks at all of us and he's like, if you motherfuckers listen to me, like if you know how he talks and he does like that yeah. where he repeats himself and he's pointing, right? It's like, if you motherfuckers listen to me, we are going to win a championship. And it was one of those things where you're just like, what, what the hell is coach talking about? We're going to, we just lost our only center. Like, how are we going to win a championship? And he just went on to say, we're going to play small ball. We're going to play fast. You know, Casey and Nick, you guys are going to set screens and rebound. And Jason, Dunn, you know, Duhan, Battier, Nate, whenever you're in the game, I want you to shoot it. Let it fly. I want us to wear opponents down. We're going to kick people's asses. And it was just one of those things where it was like, wow. And sure enough, man, we went into Carolina that next game. We beat Carolina for a share of the ACC regular season title. We win the ACC tournament. And then, behold, man, like we end up winning six games in a row. We win the NCAA tournament, and we get Boozer back during the Final Four. But it was one of those things where he just, like at a moment when we were so down, and this is where he is so brilliant, he gets you to believe in something way bigger than you ever expected. And that's why he's a Hall of Fame coach, man. No question. He's a great motivator. I mean, that's probably his greatest strength, I think, as a leader to use the old cliche, like he will get guys to run through a brick wall for him. I think his greatest strength as a coach is his adaptability. Uh, one of the things that always fascinates me about Coach K is Duke really doesn't have a system. Um, you see some colleges, even in the pros, they have these systems and they kind of plug players into the system. To me, Coach adapts every year to his personnel. And he says, all right, who are my horses? Who are my best players? I'm going to put those guys in a position to succeed. Would you agree with me? Would you th do you think that's his greatest 100%. strength as a coach? Yeah, because I look, certain guys have it and certain guys don't, right? And I'm not comparing myself to Coach K. I'm not comparing myself to you, but like I know who you are, JJ. Right? Like I I know who Michael Shishovsky is, and I know who I am. And you know, look, my my path has been different. I'm not playing basketball anymore. Just like you're not coaching basketball, you're playing. But every single day I wake up and I think, how the hell can I be better at my craft? Do I need to read off a teleprompter off my iPad and work on the inflection of my voice multiple times? Do I need to be put in situations where I have to have quick retorts? You know, because when you're on TV, a minute feels as if it's 20 minutes if you don't say anything. Uh, do I know all my information 24-7 like the back of my hand and be able to engage in verbal debate with anybody out there same way as you on the court like you're going to go to the gym after a game you know after you get a loss and get up your shots and work on different moves and you're always looking to be better at what you do if you're studying the game more and I will say that's the one thing I, I do love about K man I didn't understand it when I was playing because I was too busy trying to be a kid and uh, enjoy the moments of college like we all do to a certain extent but like Some of us day, more than man. others. Yeah, very true. <laughs> Me, most definitely. Uh, you had a little spat, too. I had a bad stretch. Um, we talked about it yeah. last week with Coach Collins. It's, we don't need oh. to get back into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you had a coming to Christ moment. Um, yeah. But uh, th this is like every single day, man. Like This guy studies the game. And look, for him to go through USA basketball and watch tape with Jim Beheim and learn from guys like Jerry Colangelo – and see Duke, I, we never played zone. We never played zone. We're always 
in your face, man to man, play denial, passing. like denial out to forty five feet. Oh I mean, yeah! And my now freshman year, we pressed, it. we pressed full court for like the first half of the season against every team. Twenty four seven. Yeah, that was the only way I knew. But now to see him use Brandon Ingram at the top of a one three one zone, right, or then play two three, or now to see him run. You know, we ran a lot of ball screens. We ran a lot of motion. We're now to see him run a lot more isolation sets. Isolation, um, two-man game, that little handoff at the elbow. There's a reason why he's great, man. Like he, I've never seen somebody study the game the way he does. A comparison I would use in the pros is Popovich. You know, I think a lot of people think of the Spurs as like having this system, but Popovich adapts, man. And and their team, if you look at the evolution over the last 20 years, you know they've changed their identity multiple times. Whether it was being a defensive team, being a post team, playing through Duncan. Uh, playing out of spread pick and rolls. Uh, now that you know they're they're obviously famous for their ball movement, um, but Popovich again he adapts to the personnel. He he kind of handles guys' minutes. Uh, just you know an incredible guy that I get to kind of compete against. Unfortunately, sometimes it's uh, it doesn't always go my way. Um, hey, but yeah, I was going to ask you though because you played for multiple NBA teams. Yeah. Do you feel that the coaching that you've received on the NBA is on par to the coaching you got in college? Uh, yes, I do. You know, I, okay. I've been fortunate. I've been very fortunate. And, you know, specifically, five years with Stan was so instrumental in my career. I wouldn't be where I am as a player without him. And and, and the reason I say that is because he, he taught me so much about X's and O's. And as you know, the X's and O's in, in college are different than the X's and O's mm-hmm. in the NBA, specifically defensively. So I learned a ton from Stan about team defense and, and defensive concepts. He also taught me a ton about just being a pro and, and holding myself accountable. So he was very similar to Kay in that regard. And then, you know, obviously now playing for Doc in L.A. Um, has been great. And like Coach K, Doc is, is a man of words, and he's a great motivator. Um, so I've been fortunate. I don't think every guy's, you know, fortunate. You, you may play for one good coach in your career. You may have seven coaches. I know there's some guys in the NBA who, you know, if you play for a certain franchise, you maybe had five or six coaches in the last four years. And so I, I've been fortunate to have some stability in my career from coaches. Hey, I got a question for you. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell tickets to your favorite NBA team. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look at tickets for Dodgers games coming up next month. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better... Every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed map to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, they show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. Plus, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. I want to talk about this year's Dukes team. I'm hoping they win on Thursday night. We have a game against Portland, but if they do win, 
I will be able to go to the Elite Eight game. Tough I haven't game seen, against Oregon, man. I know. Tough I haven't game. seen Oregon played. I just want to get your thoughts real quick on that matchup, Duke versus Oregon in the Sweet 16. Well, Oregon's going to want the game to be fast. And, look, uh, there's been a lot of talk around the country about the effect of the Pac-12. You know, they got seven teams in the NCAA tournament, and you know everybody's saying the Pac-12 is back. And a lot of people question the strength of the teams in the Pac-12. So now, you know, there's only one Pac-12 team that made it to the Sweet 16, where there are six teams from the ACC that made it to the Sweet 16. So the ACC has set a record. So there's no doubt that Duke can compete with Oregon, even though Oregon's the number one seed. It always comes down to a couple of things when you think about Duke. Number one, like Brandon Ingram or Grayson Allen cannot afford to get in foul trouble. Marshall Plumlee has blown away my expectations, man. And, you know, it, it's been that way with all the Plumleys, with Mason and, and Miles. Like, they come in, and you're like, oh, these guys, I don't know, maybe they have some of the raw talent, but they're not there. And then all of a sudden at the end of the year, they're posting numbers like 20 and 16. You're like, how the hell did Coach K get these guys to buy in and to become these players? So, you know, you're going to see Marshall Plumlee go against a guy named Chris Boucher, who is big time at blocking shots. Uh, he's extremely energetic and active around the rim. He's their energy guy. He gets them going. So they actually match up pretty well. Matt Jones, who is Duke's best perimeter defender, will take on the likes of Dylan Brooks, who is an absolute stud. I mean, last night in their game against St. Joseph's, he made two threes in the last minute and a half to kind of you know help them win the game. He's an explosive scorer. Tyler Dorsey is another big-time guard that can match up with Grayson Allen. So the teams are pretty even. Um, Oregon's deeper than Duke, but I would say that it's hard not to bet on the talent that Duke has. And I'm not saying that because I went to school there, but Ben Simmons, people are talking about him being the first pick in the draft, but I can make a similar case for Brandon Ingram with the way that dude is playing. I love his mentality. Like he, he hunts his shot the way you and I did, Jay. And Grayson is in attack mode, too. If they played the way they did in the first half against Yale, Duke could win that ball game. Uh, but if they played the way they did in the second half, then that's a game Or if you know Grayson gets in foul trouble, then I could see Oregon winning the game by 20. Yeah. Speaking of Brandon Ingram, I, I do think his aggressiveness as the years progressed ha- has increased, it seems, game to game. He's more and more comfortable. I think sometimes people forget that he turned 18 – what was it, in August or September? So he's yep. he's almost a year younger than most freshmen. And and kind of, you know, the assumption is that, that he will be the first or second pick this draft. So there's obviously a high amount of regard for him uh, amongst GMs and executives in the NBA. Uh, Grayson seems to be a more divisive player in, in terms of his pro potential. Where do you see him as an NBA player? I think Grayson could be a good NBA player. First off, this draft is – not strong at all. So I, I can see Grayson going in the top 20, top 25. I, I think there have been some questions about him and not his mentality. Look, I, I understand how it is to play basketball at the school he plays at. You understand how it is. You, yeah. you end up taking shots from everybody 24-7. And he had some judgment mistakes that he got caught. And let's be honest, like, you know, look, there's gamesmanship 24-7, man. Um, yeah. You know, I did things in college that sometimes nobody would see and you wouldn't be judged for it. I had things done to me that nobody would see and they wouldn't be judged for it. You get lost in the battle of a game. Sometimes the only thing I get frustrated at, and I've heard other GMs say this too, is that he's so athletic and his game can still grow, obviously. Look, he's only a sophomore. 
you wish he can add that kind of mid-range step to his game because either he's taking a three or he's getting all the way to the basket. He's really good at drawing contact, but I think some people are starting to get a little bit annoyed because the way he goes about drawing contact, he almost he has the physical attributes to power through people and he'll still get the call, but at times he extends his arms into the hands of people and it looks so flamboyant. You know what I mean? Like there's one way you can go about getting a call. Don't get me wrong. You know, an NBA, if somebody is it, is it, would you up, compare him a little bit in terms of drawing fouls to like a James Harden or DeMar DeRozan? I mean, I watched uh, him play uh, and sometimes yeah. he uses, he uses that Euro step in the paint to draw contact or he'll, he'll use the ball. He'll kind of show the ball and throw his arms out uh, to kind of get that foul, similar to how those guys draw fouls in the NBA. I do. I, I would say that. Uh, he plays defense a lot better than James Harden. God, he can make a <laughs> videotape on that. But um, I, I guess it's the thing, too, where it's, you know, people already think Duke gets all the calls, okay? Yeah. Like, Grayson is one of the best players. Like, I don't think he needs to do that as much as he does it. Now, that's not going to be something that's going to knock him in the draft. It's right. just, I guess, the natural progression of where I would like to see his game go through because he's so damn explosive, man. And when he puts his shoulder down, you know, it's something he's going to have to recognize on the next level, too. You're not going to come down the lane and, and pipe it over Andrew Bogut. Or he may. Um, or DeAndre <laughs> nah. Jordan. Yeah. He may. Very true. <laughs> I try to correct myself. Um, but I don't know. Like, the mid-range game is the next yeah. step for him. But I, I think he's going to be a good pro. I do too. I don't know if you know how this is, so Jay. Like you have to be a good pro. You have to be on the right team to be a good pro. Yeah, the situation right? matters a lot. We're gonna. I'm gonna ask you about that in a second. Hey guys, spring is here. You know what that means? Better weather, and it seems like a great time to grill. Grilling season is here. All right, I'm gonna take just a minute to tell you about this great deal from Omaha Steaks. It's called the Reddick Combo. This package is worth two hundred and ten dollars and ninety one cents. But my listeners will get this for $49.99. That's an incredible deal. You will get 76% off this exclusive package. All right, here's the package. You get two tender, mild filet mignons, two bold, beefy top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, 15 giant all-beef meatballs, four award-winning gourmet jumbo franks, four crispy potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha Steak seasoning pack, plus you get four juicy made-from-premium-ground-beef Omaha Steak burgers. They're throwing in those four burgers for free. Everything backed by Omaha Steak's 100% unconditional guarantee. Just for my listeners, this exclusive package is only $49.99. Go to omahasteaks.com, type JJ in the search bar to get this great deal. That's omahasteaks.com, enter JJ in the search bar to get this great package for $49.99. You know, the thing I always say about, like, guys and whether or not they can make it and become good pros, you obviously have to have some semblance of skill, which I think Grayson has. He's athletic enough, so he has that. The next thing for me is just the mentality. And to me, Grayson has the mentality to not only, you know, play in the NBA, but play a long time in the NBA. You know, by all accounts, from what Will Stevens, the strength coach, has told me at Duke, the guy works on his body like a maniac. You know, if you work and you believe and you have a little bit of swagger, I think Grayson is a cowboy, then you're going to be successful in the NBA. I'm long. I'm bullish on Grayson Allen. Well, you guys are you guys almost cut from the same cloth, man. <laughs> well, I don't, you know, just because we're white, don't compare us, all right? We're different I players. did not say that. Do not go there. I can't believe you would take it all the way there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, he, he's, uh, 
in a way, I think a little bit, the comparison kind of makes sense. But you mentioned something about being in the right system. I'm going to guess your one year in Chicago, you felt like you, you weren't in the right system. I've talked about this with a couple people on this podcast. If you're a pick and roll point guard, do you want to play in the triangle? No, I want nothing to do with it. If I'm a pick-and-roll point guard, I want to play in Doc Rivers' system that you guys run. I mean, I want to have you on my wing and and have a guy like Paul Pierce that maybe I could do a pick-and-pop with or – you know, some of the action that you guys run, I can throw lobs at the rim for, for Blake and DeAndre and, and have that style or approach. The triangle is one of the worst systems for a point guard that's used to having the ball in his hands, primarily for the fact that you give the ball up and you get into your systematic approach, and the ball may not touch your hands until two seconds left on the shot clock. And then, I, you know, it was, it was fascinating. Towards the middle of my season, I started to sit down with my agent, and we started to chart the amount of shots that I took within five seconds or less of the shot clock. And predominantly, most of the shots I took were within five seconds or less in the shot clock. Now, we were running the triangle through. You know, it, the teams that have been successful running the triangle have a great, great wing player, i.e. Kobe or Michael Jordan, right. or they have a legitimate post in Shaq. Okay, we had Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry. Now, Eddie Curry's not in the league any longer. Tyson Chandler has been a, a defensive guy now, which he is. A great and, role, a great roller, though, uh, in a spread pick and roll. He's a he's a dynamic player in a spread pick agreed. and roll. And you know, from the weak side, if if I'm coming off a screen, high screen, and roll with him, you know, if I have you on the weak side as a shooter, the weak side defender is forced to help down on him, which is going to give you a wide open shot every single time. But we never we never ran stuff like that. The only time we did just kind of play free ball and, and go into a ton of screen and roll and motion kind of scenarios were against the New Jersey Nets, and I had a triple-double. So that was extremely frustrating for me, and it was, it was difficult, man. Like, coming from where we came from, when I fell down, I had four arms extended towards me like, hey, I got you, yeah. right? Like, you heard one of the kids from Northern Iowa talk about it last night, Paul Jesperson, after they lost to Texas A&M. He was crying on the podium. He's like, I'm never going to get – this moment back, man, like these dudes are my brothers, man. These dudes, they ride or die with me. And when I got to the league, I didn't have anybody to ride or die with. I had Jalen Rose, who we look, we've talked all this through. But this dude, the first game we beat Boston, and I missed some free throws down the stretch. I get it. I was not a good free throw shooter. I was actually a horrific free throw shooter. But it's like we won the game, and this dude was quoted in the paper the next day saying, you know, these dookies, they choke. You know, and you're like, damn, dude, like this is this is the leader we're of our team. We're on the same team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's saying I'm a choke artist. After we won the game, we lose the game. I still don't want you to say that, but I get it. We win the game, and that's that's what you're saying to me? So that yeah. that dissension, man, just festered 24-7. And uh, it was just a different animal that I wasn't used to, and it, it took some time to adjust to learning how to lose, I guess. I don't know that. Uh, every school is like that, but I do feel like, you know, when I was at Duke, you are in a little bit of a bubble, and there's a level of protection uh, that Coach K has for his players. I know he protected me my sophomore year. He protected me with all the dumb stuff I was doing off the court, and he looks out for you. And, and, and when you get to the NBA, and this may be for most college guys, but I know for Duke guys, and you're out of that bubble, it can be a huge adjustment. Jay, before I let you go, I do want to talk a little bit about your role with ESPN. And one of the recurring themes on this podcast will be kind of life after basketball. And 
uh, unfortunately, your career ended uh, sooner than expected, um, but you've carved out a niche for yourself. You've made that transition. I want to go back to just the beginning of that and your decision to become an analyst. What was the biggest challenge initially? Did you have someone whether it was an ESPN person or maybe someone in the Duke family that was that was helping you with that transition, uh, Coach K tried to help, but obviously he was coaching his team and you know focused on recruiting and and those things. I really didn't have that much help on the ESPN side. I had one guy named Dan Steer that tried to give me advice and and coach me about slowing down. You know, being from New Jersey, I spoke really fast. The TV side was fascinating. It, I almost didn't want to do it at first. I got thrusted into it because there was nothing else for me to do, JJ, after I got hurt. And it was painful. I was still addicted to Oxycontin because I've had 13-plus surgeries on the left side of my body. And the most challenging aspect of calling a game was still feeling slighted by the fact that I should be playing this game. Um, you know, I was 23, 24 when I was calling my first games for ESPNU. And, you know... Look, this is reality, but, you know, you go from making the money that you make as the number two overall pick in the NBA draft to all of a sudden making $30,000, you know, for that first year. And I made that for three and a half, four years doing TV and, uh, you know, spending more money on my expenses than I actually made throughout the game, but also held a ton of animosity towards some of the players that I had just seen compete a couple of years ago that I knew I was better than that were getting all this praise and, and fame. That was extremely challenging. And, you know, when when I was a player, I, I studied the game, but not to the same degree that I had started to learn how to study the game when I was a pro. And I, I lost a little bit of that because I, and when you get hurt, I spent two and a half, three years trying to come back and work on my body. So there wasn't that same attention to detail with studying the game. Uh, doing TV has been fascinating. When I was a player, I used to listen to what people said and that would drive me, and that would piss me off, and I would use that as fuel for my motivation. Prime example, Angel Rodriguez the other day when Miami won, he's a star guard for Miami. He got interviewed afterwards, and he said, you know, these so-called basketball experts don't have us winning any games. And, you know, I'm sitting there like, wow, I'm a so-called basketball expert. Okay. But, like, I understand that, right, because that was me. But when you're on this side of the equation, it's nobody listens to you when you are just saying the generic basketball stuff. I'm sure you're witnessing this with your podcast, right? Like, you know, you had to make comments on Grayson Allen the other day. And that's a difficult position to be in because you're automatically going to be considered a homer, even if you give an unbiased, neutral perspective. So number one is I've learned not to care about what people have to say anymore. You know, Duke could win the game by 20, and I could say, look, I think Duke's going to win this game against Oregon because of A, B, C, D, and E. And people are going to say, you're a homer. Of course, you're going to pick Duke. You always do. And I'm like, no, I don't. If you actually paid didn't attention you, did, to when North Carolina you put played it, Duke, I, yeah, that's right. you know what I mean? So it's yeah. you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And how can you deliver information to me in a way that keeps me on the edge of my seat? Right? That's a skill. Like, you know, Stephen A. Smith has a skill. Regardless of whether you hate him yelling or not, the way he's able to you know, pose an argument is fascinating. It's intriguing. And I, the media game almost is my basketball game now, man. And, like, when that light goes on, like, you feel like you're performing. It's a different performance because it's not on the court, but it's, a, it's intellectual trench warfare. And I, I love that. That's great stuff, man. All right, I'm going to ask one more question. This seems a little blunt and a little straightforward, but I'm just going to ask it. What kind of underwear are you wearing right now? 
because whatever you're wearing, Mack Weldon is better. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you'll ever wear. I think the most important thing with Mack Weldon is just the comfort. They want you to feel comfortable in their products. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. The other great thing about all their products is that they're natural antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. Not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. It's good for working out, going to work. You could even wear them on dates. It's just a great everyday product. Right now, my listeners can go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code JJ. So go to MacWeldon.com today. Before I let you go, I do want to tell everyone that you have written a book. It's called Life is Not an Accident. Would you call it a memoir? It's a memoir, right? I guess. Yeah, memoir days yeah. are 31, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That is a question I had for you. Why now? What was the the motivation behind writing that book right now? Well, if anything, my accident taught me why not right now, man. It's uh, I, yeah. not that everybody does this, but I think a lot of us do. We We live our lives with this mentality that you don't think you're invincible, but you don't think through all of your actions. You've been there. I've been there. You know, think about how... JJ, your life could have worked out differently, right? Your sophomore year, you make a couple of decisions. For me, like I, I made bad decisions, and my life did work out differently, and I, I had to live with that. So if my accident taught me anything, it taught me never to take this day for granted. And I felt the need to say, hey, look, like I'm, I'm just like anybody else, man. I have my demons. I have my pain. I have my issues with my family. I, I have my issues trying to find a wife and you know trying to – you know, be dedicated to work and feel the need to climb this mountain because I was so angry at what I had lost and that I had never really focused on what I had accomplished or, you know, what was right in front of me and why not do it now? You know, I don't know if I'm going to be around tomorrow. Profound stuff, man. I appreciate it. Jay, and I like I to know- say also in my book, yeah. I, I talk about the fact that you totally embarrassed me and made me look like a chump when you were a freshman in college and I was a rookie in NBA and Wait, I loved you ever since that one moment. Wh- I've loved you. When did I embarrass you? Uh, it was just, you know, I came down. It was actually the day before I got hurt, man. I was... I came down oh to Cameron. And, oh, yeah. I remember Jay. this yesterday, bro. How, yesterday. how did I embarrass you? Bro, you chumped me. I, I wanted my boy Graham to play, and you said, no, only Duke guys are in the first game. And I don't know where my ego was at the time, but I also think my ego was lost just because I was trying to prove that I had my jersey retired and that you were a freshman. And you said only Duke guys played the first game. And then Chris Collins and Coach K backed you and not me. And I was like, damn, okay. I kind of like this kid. I kind of like the fact that he's a freshman right now and he's dictating what the hell is going to go on the court. And the rest is in the history books. And that's you know how what? you are who you are, bro. I think you took that embarrassment and anger out on the current players because that was the best <laughs> I'd ever seen you play. We played pickup in front of like 600 campers, and I swear to God, like I was like, oh, my God, Jay Williams is the best basketball player I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you were hitting threes. You were dunking on shell. Like, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Dude, those are moments that um, I will say this, Jay, and this is not because I'm on your show. I would say this. If I was on any show, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, who are the best players that come out of Duke? And of course, you know, people get angry at me because I put myself in that conversation. But <laughs> dude, like from that moment though, that like your mentality is a mentality that I wish more kids would have because a, a lot of kids back down from adversity. A lot of kids back down when other people get in their face. 
And there's certain people that you know if you want to go there, you're going to be damned if you do because their game will go to a different level. And that was the first day I learned that about your game, man. And I've had respect for you ever since, brother. I appreciate it, man. And I know you're a busy man, so I, I, I really, really appreciate uh, you giving us the time today. Again, Life is Not an Accident is in bookstores now. I'm sure you can find it all over the Internet, Amazon, Amazon Prime, Hulu. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Jay, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate all it, right. man. All right, bro. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Also, please tweet me at J.J. Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, SeatGeek, Mack Weldon, and Omaha Steaks. Until next week, later. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.